This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Cartographers, a podcast that charts our changing cultural landscape and provides hope for 21st century Christian leaders. We are Bryce Hales and Ashley Hales, a pastor and a PhD. Welcome to this conversation. Welcome back to The Cartographers. As we think about the end of 2023, we know that books shape our imaginations. And it's from our loves and our imaginations that we are able to act faithfully as believers, as Christians in the world. And so we wanted to bring you some of our favorite books that we have read. So Bryce, I'm excited to chat books with you today. Yeah. So before we get into our books, I've got uh, two questions I want to ask you. One is, okay, related. How many books do you think you have um, purchased in 2023? And then what percentage of them have you read? Oh, you're like, you're in my dirty laundry. You know, I would say <laughs> because of the nature of my work, I get a lot of books for free. So I, I would say purchased maybe like 10. Uh, and I read probably, mm, probably three or four, honestly. I, As you know, the book stacks continue to grow. How about you? I mean, I would say my numbers on both are much higher. I, I, I'm told this is a total guess. I would estimate that I've probably purchased like 30 books and I would estimate I have read, um, like at least, you know, a substantial portion of probably 80% of those. Well done. Well done. Well, <laughs> listeners, you can let us know if you actually read the books that you purchase, as well as if you have a good method of keeping track of how many books. I always think I'm going to keep track of how many books I read, but I never do. One year I wrote one word reviews of every book Ooh. I read that year. I love that. I, I love that. You should. Okay. So two questions as we consider just our top few books of 2023, we want to think about what was remarkable about the book and what can we learn? So how does this apply to leadership? How does this apply to lives in volunteer capacities, work capacities, parenting, whatever it is that you do? Let's, we're going to try to make it applicable too. So Bryce, tell us your top book that you have read in 2023. And it doesn't have to be a new one. Okay. We're, so we're going to be sharing like, back, we're going to go back and forth and we're going to each share some of our favorite books of 2023. Um, and so my, my first one is a biblical critical theory. This actually came out in 22. Uh, we talked to Chris Watkin, um, I think early in this year. And uh, I said at the time, this is my favorite book of 2022. And it um, has stayed my favorite book of this year. Um, I actually gave a copies of this to um, the elders and their wives at our church uh, just the other day. And one of them, I think, just characterized this really well. Um, 
somebody, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said, this is sort of like the Jesus storybook Bible for grownups. And I think it's a really great way to put um, this book. I know that some people, there's been a little bit of, I don't know if controversy is too strong of a word, but the, but just the title, Biblical Critical Theory, some people I've seen on social media have uh, kind of had this knee-jerk reaction against that. And, you know, that's neither here nor there. But it's really a book where... Um, Watkin is going through the whole storyline of scripture and kind of pointing out how Jesus is the third way uh, in the midst of these kind of culture war options. Uh, he, he's, he would probably not like the way I just said that, but um, it's, it's a really remarkable book. But the thing that has made it so um, kept it at the top of my list is all year is that I have used this um in my in my sermon prep all year because I can uh, either just use the, the section or the the like scripture reference index in the back of the book and uh, it helps me to just it, it's it's not a commentary on the Bible it's sort of like a uh, providing cultural background that helps locate uh, the the text and the sermon as I'm working on it so that's my first first choice. What do you think we can learn from from that book particularly? So if you're not a pastor and you're not going to use it for preaching, what's the average person in the pew is going to appreciate about biblical critical theory? I mean, gosh, there's so many ways we could take that. But I, I think that the first thing that comes to mind is that if you are um, – let's say like the the thoughtfully engaged christian who who is serious about your faith and serious about the world that we live in it could be easy i think to look at some of the and and it's if you're if you're a person who leans more to the right or the left side of the cultural political kind of continuum it, either way, there are things going on that you can look at that sort of just lead to this like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on in the world. And I think that what 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 Chris is doing in this book is he's basically saying to you, you do not need to be afraid. Uh, that, that the gospel is actually, that Jesus is um, more than capable. Uh, he, he continues to be on his throne and he's engaging with sort of the uh, philosophical, uh, like meta thoughts that are shaping the cultural moment that we're living in. And he's doing that in a way that is just like breathtaking and so hopeful. And so, uh, yeah, you're not a pastor. Uh, totally a book worth getting. I, I would say, I've said this to everybody, get the book and then read the foreword by Tim Keller and then read uh, Chris's introduction um, and then don't feel like you need to read through the entire book to have read it. I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a thick, uh, book, but, uh, the, even just the table of contents is going to help you just to dive into chapters that seem relevant to stuff you're thinking about or wondering about or places you're reading through the, the Bible. How about you? Give us your first book. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of chose my books by the things that just absolutely captured me that I just couldn't put down, um, which is for me, one of the hallmarks. I have a hard time like judging through something I should read. I do need my affections to be captured. So the first book that I would say is 
Um, Harrison's Got Keys, How to Stay Married. Harrison was also on our podcast. We talked about humor and why Christians aren't funny. And he is a humorist. And he he wrote this book, though, about his wife's affair and just the devastation it brought to their family. Um, but this isn't a ha-ha, she's horrible um, sort of book. It's an absolutely devastating look at what does it look like to offer grace and mercy um, to also see ourselves as implicated in problems when I'm sure in in this scenario, it'd be very easy to be um, standoffish. But uh, I, w- I wanted to read just this this quick little bit from it so you can get a flavor of these redemptive themes, which I just found remarkable. I read this like in a day. We were on vacation and I just kind of ignored everybody <laughs> and mm-hmm. read the book. <laughs> um, so this is, you know, a, a point where he says, you know, I put on jeans and a t-shirt featuring two howling wolves underneath the words, I'd rather be crying to Enya. And Lauren, that's his wife, came in crying. She says, I'll leave if you want me to. She was crying because she did not want to leave the girls, but she knew that the leaving would have to be hers to do. Did I want her to leave and suffer and be sad and take a dozen Ambien and slip quietly into eternity? Maybe. But she was too chicken to do us all the favor and would instead run straight to Chad, sending all of us deeper into this hell. I got off the couch and stood. In that moment, I felt not strong. Strong is not the word. Neither is weak. If I wanted Lauren to suffer, all I had to do was put into motion the machinations of judgment within reach. A call to an attorney, a simple disentanglement of banking, and she'd be lost in the frigid chaos with nothing and nobody to aid her. Leave if you want, but this is the safest place for you right now. And there are moments and moments in that book that just, you know, I I was speaking with a friend earlier today about it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And often we think it's like the hammer of God's judgment uh, that we wield on other people that will change them. But I've just, it was a beautiful story that was remarkable in its grace and mercy without being trite at all. Um, and some laugh out loud, funny parts. So I found how to stay married. One of my most engaging reads of the year. Okay. So what, what do we learn from reading about how to stay married? (laughs) Well, hopefully how to stay married if you are married, but, um, you know, I think sometimes it's important for those of us who like ideas and analyzing to actually get ourselves lost in a story and, it stories are so much more powerful to move our affections and to really dig in some theoretical or abstract things like forgiveness or mercy. Um, and so I think it's important to dig into those things and to practice living them through our imaginations. So I think it's a great, it's a fabulous read. It'll have you laughing um, and really cause you to ask some good questions about how you relate to God and others. So yeah, that's good. It's thought provoking while also being, I mean, it, it's entertaining. It's an easy book to read and yes. to laugh at. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Second book, Bryce. What What do you have for us? Okay. My second second book. Um, so our listeners may or may not know that I'm working on my doctorate in ministry in the area of uh, leadership. And uh, so I have been swimming in books on leadership for the last several years. And the one that I want to recommend, and I, I have to say, I, I'm a little bit hesitant to read that to recommend this, but uh, the book is called Team of Teams, New Rules of Engagement for a Complex World, written by General Stanley McChrystal. 
He is a retired general, uh, retired from the U.S. Army, and he led the uh, U.S. Joint Special Task Force in um, in Iraq, kind of at the height of the Iraq War, and he um, basically what he found is that the United States military, which is the most resourced, well resourced, kind of powerful um, military or probably organization that that the, you know the the world can amass, um, found itself completely impotent in the face of an insurgent uh, enemy. And basically this book is about the way that he led that team, that task force to adapt and develop uh, a resilient leadership structure. And, um, and it's fascinating. The reason I'm hesitant to recommend it is because I, I think um, it's possible that somebody could just pick this book up and think, well, that was an interesting story. And if you haven't been swimming in the like the th- more the theory based kind of uh, systems leadership and the role of anxiety and, and so many of these things, if you haven't read like Leadership on the Line or um, The Leader's Journey or, or some, of, some of those books, some of the lessons may be a little bit lost on people, but it's an interesting read. Um, it's a super interesting read, but one of the things, one of my big takeaways from this, he, he talks about um, sort of transitioning from this command and control uh, mode of leadership where the leader is the sort of the, the one who knows everything to do and tells everybody else the right thing to do to a resilient team-based approach to leadership, which he says um, involves in the short run uh, incredible inefficiencies because you have to build a, a a resilient team where everybody has some idea of what everybody's doing, but also has their own areas of, of specialization and um, super helpful for thinking about, uh, I mean, in our context, in our church here, this has been a big part of um, how I'm thinking about developing uh, rising leaders. So super, super interesting. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. Uh, what do you think we can learn from from that? So if you're not, you know, in charge of an organization, if you are just, you know, working your nine to five job, what do you think you can learn about leadership that way? Well, I mean, I think that um, it, it, it's important to kind of back up uh, and think about there's so many different ways to think about leadership. But the way I think about leadership, and this is a, a lar- in large part um kind of appropriating Pete Scazzaro, but the leadership is, is like high level discipleship. And so um, in some ways, leadership is about um, our ability to influence other people. And so all of us have greater and lesser degrees of leadership. If you're a parent, you're a leader, you know, um, by definition. And so, um, but this, yeah, this transition from the leader being the person who always knows the right thing to do to the leader setting the context in which people feel free to get um, as many ideas onto the table into the pool of meaning as possible um, is is a huge is a huge transition but can be a, a super helpful shift for anybody no matter kind of what your position or uh, job is yeah you know, I find that could be very helpful in the transition between parenting younger children to parenting teenagers and young adults as mm, well. There you go. This 
This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Okay, how about you? What's your next book? Yeah, you know, I think um, another book that really captured my attention and affections was Andy Crouch's book, The Life We're Looking For, Reclaiming Relationship in a Technological World. Um, And, you know, we've all read a dime a dozen books on how technology shapes and forms us. I've written a fair amount myself in both of my books. Um, And so there's a sense in which it feels like it could be old hat, but The Life We're Looking For is one of these sorts of books that actually pulls us into a better vision. And honestly, and this, I'm getting a little bit tired of a lot of hyper analysis about everything that's wrong um, with our world and formation and the Christian church. I don't think that that's where we need to stay. It's definitely where we need to start, but I am so much more intrigued by you know, listening to a song that talks about the glory of God. And in Andy Crouch's book, he talks a lot about this early, the early church, and he kind of recreates this um, scene imaginatively where Paul is dictating um, the book of Romans, I think it is, um, to like this, what, what, you know, would be a considered a slave of the time, you know, a no name sort of person. And he, he gives us this sense of what does a really robust um, Christian community look like? And that is so much more intriguing to me than just simply, you know, giving us some of the data about what we're looking for. So rather than just saying, hey, technology is bad, you need to limit your time on your devices is saying what we're actually looking for, the life that we're looking for is to be seen and known, that moment of recognition. um, And that that happens not only with God, but in the church. And he gives us a more beautiful picture, um, helping us imagine what that might look like that pulls us away, I think, from our kind of lazy, perhaps technological habits. Yeah. So uh, who's this book for or uh, how if you're, you know, maybe you're a listener who is either, you know, maybe you're a parent, maybe you're um, working in a professional context, maybe you're a a leader, a lay leader in your church. What what are some of the takeaways? Yeah, well, we tried to start reading some of this with our our family and the 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 chapter is a little bit long for our children to to sit through. That was super popular. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe not for around after dinner table reading, but um, 
you know, I think it would be great for folks who work with youth. I think it would be great for for really anybody who's in a position of leadership at a church, for sure. Because, you know, like I've heard in so many different contexts, like the church has really not done a great job at forming resilient, faithful disciples who are disciplined, right, to not look at their phones. And we are being formed so much more by technology in our phones. And so if that's a concerning issue to you, this might be a great discussion book, book club book, um, small group book to begin to get a better a better vision for what we actually need as humans. Yeah. So it's not just the like, don't look at your phone at the table approach, but there's a, right. there's a much more positive, compelling uh, case that. Yes. Andy's the pull there. instead of the push away, which I really, yeah. cool. I think that's where, how, where we see change. All right. Third book. Your last one okay, here. Okay, so I know we were only going to do three, but I'm going to slip in a fourth one because uh, I got fair. to my office. Yeah, I, I'm doing it. So this, I'll say this is my honorable mention. So um, Gordon T. Smith's book, Wisdom from Babylon, Leadership for the Church in a Secular Age. Um, I just looked and this book came out in 2020. So it's it, maybe it was the dark horse that people were otherwise occupied um, in 2020, I, I'm not saying that it hasn't been well received or something like that, but this, this book, um, I, I love, and I was super conflicted because as I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, this is the book that I want to write in like the next few years. Um, but I, I love it because basically what he, what he's talking about is, is first of all, we have to understand the times that we're living in. And so he, he gives a very, um, helpful uh, overview of the context of of uh, of the secular world that we live in, um, but then he's he's helping us to listen to kind of the the wisdom of the people of God in the Old Testament in the exilic context in Babylon is where the title comes from, um, but also the the kind of wisdom perspective of the early church that we see in the Roman Empire. And then learning from the persecuted church in the two-thirds world, um, now learning lessons from uh, secular Europe, which is actually in some ways uh, has been grappling with secularism for longer than we have. Very helpful under, uh, way to get our heads around the context that we live in. But then he moves forward and talks about basically the, the role of the church com- um, in a secular world. And he talks about the importance of liturgical, catechetical, and missional leadership uh, in the church. And I think, I mean, those three categories, I didn't do this, but like have aligned with the the three purposes of the church. I've been uh, helping our congregation think through and develop. And um, again, easy read really compelling and worth uh, worth listening to. It's the sort of thing that I wish that like I could get my whole uh, leadership team to just stop and read and discuss immediately. Yeah, I remember reading that when it came out because um, he was on Finding Holy Podcast and just being like, I remember I gave it to Bryce. I'm like, this is amazing. You need to read it. So I'm glad you loved it too. And so did, so that was your honorable mention. So what's your official third? Okay, so my official third book is, um, and uh, so I have to say that um, kind of prefaces by saying I haven't actually finished reading this. I just started reading Andrew Wilson's book, Remaking the World, How 1776 Created the Post-Christian West. 
and I uh, just started reading it this week. So um, I'll probably be done by the time this episode comes out. So if it turns out to be terrible in the end, we will just yank this. But I doubt that that's going to happen. Um, basically, this is a, a book of history that is is helping us tell the story. He kind of points out Andrew Wilson is a uh, is an English pastor. I, I'm pretty sure, and um, it's it's a historical book, but. Um, he, he, he's pointing out that that we live in a forgetful time and it's easy for us to think that the way uh, we experience the world is just the way it's always been. And the big idea of his book is that 1776, more than any other year in the last millennium, is the year that made us who we are and we cannot understand ourselves without it. And so for Americans, we think about 1776 as the year that the U.S. declared independence from the British Empire. But he points out that seven uh, transformations that have reshaped the modern world uh, all at least saw very significant development in, in the year 1776. So he talks about globalization, the Enlightenment, the Industrial Revolution, the Great Enrichment, the American Revolution, and the rise of post-Christianity and the dawn of Romanticism, all um, sort of uh, taking place in that year, which is uh, super, super interesting. And But he, he also says this, uh, my primary motive in writing this book is to help the church thrive in a weirder world. And that the phrase weirder is this, um, is this acronym that Jonathan Haidt, uh, didn't originate, but developed in, um, in the righteous mind. And by weirder, he means Western educated, industrialized, rich, democratic, ex-Christian and romantic. And again, he's, he's saying we live in this world that is weirder, but the question for Christians to think about especially is why? Why is the world that we live in the way that it is? And one of the great parts of this book, he has maybe, I don't know, a section of three or four pages where he basically says to the reader, like, if you're reading this, these things are probably true about you. And um, it's it's amazing to, re- to read this. He, you know, he just some of these, he says, um, you're probably sitting in a room right now. Uh, where, where you're sitting in or lying on a piece of furniture that was not built in your house or probably even in your country. Um, you probably cannot smell livestock. There's probably a bathroom within uh, 30 feet of where you are. You're probably wearing clothes that you didn't make and that were made in a foreign country. You probably haven't thought about where your food comes from in a long, long time. And just goes on and on and... Um, Again, the point is these are all things that we assume are normal about the world and and they're not. And so if we're going to think about what does it look like to live um, as a life-giving presence as followers of Jesus in this world, it's a super helpful book to help us understand how we got here. And uh, I, I said this to you, I, for people who, listeners who are familiar with Bill Bryson, this book reads to me like a Bill Bryson book if he was a Christian and was writing about kind of those concerns. It's just, it's a, it's a work of history, but it's super easy to listen to, super engaging. It's the kind of thing where he, he's able to pull like so historical an- anecdotes where you're like, where did you even find this detail from and connect it to much larger um, kind of 
movements in the world in a way that you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's exactly why uh, I think the way that I do about this topic. So super great. How about you? What's your last book? My last book is Madeline LaEngle's A Circle of Quiet. So she she wrote a few books that are kind of autobiographical called The Crosswicks Journals. There's four of them. Um, A Circle of Quiet is probably her most well-known. So, of course, Madeline LaEngle is known as, you know, the writer for A Wrinkle in Time. And in these journals, she's really just writing about her own life as a mother, as a writer, um, as a woman, as a believer and struggling with faith and doubt. And I just thought, hey, I'm 43. This sounds like a really appropriate Advent and Christmas reading. So I've assigned myself that I'm going to read these four books over um, Advent and, and Christmas. Uh, the first one is A Circle of Quiet, which I read before because it is kind of one of these books that writers like to read. Um, but I think there's there's a little bit I wanted to 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 tease you with. So you don't have to be a woman or a writer to enjoy her reflections on faith and life and middle age. But she writes, she writes this in a circle of quiet, a great painting or symphony or play doesn't diminish us, but enlarges us. And we too want to make our own cry of affirmation to the power of creation behind the universe. The surge of creativity has nothing to do with competition or degree of talent. When I hear a superb pianist, I can't wait to get to my own piano, and I play about as well now as I did when I was 10. A great novel, rather than discouraging me, simply makes me want to write. This response on the part of any artist is the need to make incarnate the new awareness we have been granted through the genius of someone else. And I just, I love, she has little bits like that kind of all peppered throughout her work that just kind of, I think it speaks to that pull that I was talking about earlier that that beauty and works of art and literature and painting and um, the gorgeous sunset want you know they enable us to actually want to participate um, in our own fledgling ways and so that has been that's been a lovely part of my um, advent reading so far so uh, yeah who would you recommend that uh, that book to yeah I mean anyone who kind of wants to slow down a little bit and um, likes to meander through people's lives in, in a non-creepy way, <laughs> I would say you could really enjoy um, reading from Madeline Langle. And, you know, if of course, if you are, you know, a fan of her fiction, that's, uh, it's also fun to, to get behind the scenes look. So quickly, as we are wrapping up this episode, we have lots of goals for 2024, and some of them might be reading goals. So, Bryce, what is your top to-be-read book on your list for 2024? Okay, so I already mentioned this, but I, so I'm going to be uh, starting my dissertation in the uh, 2024 time period and um, focusing on cruciform leadership in a secular age, the centrality of the cross. And so I have, I've smuggled in more than you're asking for, but three books that I'm looking forward to reading. The first is uh, Finally Sitting Down to Work All the Way Through a Secular Age by Charles Taylor, uh, what's become kind of a standard um, work on uh, secularism in our time. Um, the second one is a book that I haven't started yet called Bulwarks of Unbelief, Atheism and Divine Absence in a Secular Age. Um, I don't know if the author's name is Joseph Minnick or Minich, um, 
but uh, looking forward to uh, jumping into that as he, I think, is writing as a Christian. I mean, Taylor's a a, a Catholic, um, so but but writing as a pastor and applying some of Taylor's uh, work more specifically. And then I just picked this up: "A Quiet Mind to Suffer with Mental Illness, Trauma, and the Death of Christ" um, by John Andrew Bryant and uh, thinking about the role of suffering in the Christian life, the, the cruciform way of life. We think of suffering as this aberration, but Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. And um, basically what I'm wanting to explore is what if he actually meant that? What if, what if uh, the way of the cross is the way of uh, flourishing, which means embracing the reality of suffering? So looking forward to those. How about you? What are you looking forward to reading next year? I am saying this partly just to remind myself that I need to do it, is I would love to make my way all the way through Augustine's City of God. So that is kind of my big, very fat book. Need to read it all the way through. So we can keep each other accountable with our big, fat books. We started it together. We should continue it we together. We could. So that's as all as I will commit to right now. Um, we'll wait for whatever grabs my attention between now and then or various things I need to read for, for work. But um, what do we have to look forward to besides our reading list? Yeah, thanks so much for uh, joining us. I, I was just thinking, I think the cartographers began in 2023. So uh, we're finishing our first year uh, together hosting a podcast and we stayed married. <laughs> That's good. It is. <laughs> Um, thanks in part to reading a book about how to do that. <laughs> Sorry, that was cheesy. Um, but we're looking forward to next year. We're going to be back in January. We're talking to uh, Kurt Thompson again. Um, one of the things also we're going to on be- themes of suffering on themes of suffering. Yeah. One of the things that we are excited about uh, for the podcast next year, we we've been talking about kind of the reality that the church is being torn apart by the culture wars uh, we've talked about the de-churching um, realities. You, you mentioned this a, a, a couple minutes ago, but one of the things that we really want to do is be thinking about the positive, generative, constructive work of how do we uh, follow Jesus positively, not just being aware of the the, the negative kind of realities that we're uh, immersed in. And so we are going to be uh, having some conversations about the idea of how worship forms us, how engagement in the the liturgical, sacramental, worshiping life of our congregations is a primary way that uh, Jesus forms us as people who can uh, bear witness to the reality of his kingdom in the places that he's called us to live. And so this is really um, uh, born out of a conversation I had with a visitor to our church here in uh, San Luis Obispo, California. And uh, we're going to take that theme and uh, run with it for a little bit in the new year. So really looking forward to doing that. Yes. So thank you for being here. We so appreciate you. If you wouldn't mind, it would be a great Christmas gift to us if you rated and reviewed the cartographers and send this episode or one of so many others to a friend. It helps other people find the podcast and continue these great conversations. The Cartographers is hosted by Bryce Hales and Ashley Hales. It's edited by Nathan Michelle. 
The Cartographers is a production of the Willowbray Institute. Find out more at willowbray.org.